Hi, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for this week, ending Friday the 14th of October. We, Daniel Mon and Bobby, are on Triple R every weekday morning from 6 to 9am, broadcast live from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on the podcast this week, we talk about the etiquette of free samples. And Jessie B. Miller was in to talk all things chooks. I've got my dad's 70th coming up this weekend and my biggest nightmare is under catering. So make sure we don't do that. Uh, Clementine Ford also pops in to talk about her new show, Love Sermon. Samantha Andrew was our Friday funny bugger and Bobby's travel agent was the one that took off. Triple R. A new cafe opened across the road from my house. Uh, it's changed hands maybe three times in the last three years uh, and the coffee's never – I've tried every one of them um, because it's so convenient just across the road, mm. but unfortunately it's been disappointing every time. Uh, but these guys uh, over the weekend were offering free coffee samples. Oh, wow. It's like, Wow. Mm. I mean, all right. And it's normally really quiet there, uh, but they've set up tables outside. They, they set it up as though there were going to be 50 people there. And I've never seen more than five people mm. in this place. But they had signs up. And like I said, because it was free samples, it was buzzing. Uh, yeah, of course it was. What's a free sample? That's what I'm curious about. Is it like an espresso? Yeah, or you could have a little – is it a piccolo? Yeah. Yeah, you could have those as well. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, but no, they were – I mean, the coffee was average, but oh. I love the idea of it. But it I, was free. You love the was, idea of it being free. Yeah, it was free. And you know what? It was a chance for people to get to meet the people that owned it. And sometimes the service, people will come back for mm. the service because there were locals that were having, you know, good long conversations and you could see them just enjoying that aspect of it, just coming and getting a free coffee, having a chat. Mm. So for the social uh, reason, hopefully <laughs> they get a few people coming back after the free sale. Who knows? (laughs) I mean, I won't, but good luck. Yeah, that's the thing because they'll be like, oh, wow, business is booming. It's so great. So many people here. And then Mm. they realise, oh, no, they're not. Everyone's just a cheapskate. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll keep track of that and see if there's any more people that are coming by. Um, Remember when – I'm not sure if they do it anymore. I don't see it as often. But when you go into supermarkets and they have free samples of food. I think that died with COVID. It It did. But you used to get yeah. little, like, chopped up bits of cheese. And yeah. Stuff. Mm. Oh, I remember as a kid, I would – oh, you'd do laps, wouldn't you? <laughs> Mum and dad are shopping, mm. you go have a cheese stick or whatever it was, run around, come back. Oh, uh, yes, please, I'll try one of those. Although that being – yeah, <laughs> that being said, I remember going to um, – popping into, like, a little supermarket. Um, I'd just been to the – I'd just been to the doctor – and found out I was pregnant <laughs> and then went to, Will and I walked into this, like this little grocer and they were doing free samples of beer. <laughs> oh, get but out. it was a non-alcoholic beer. And oh. I was like, oh, I would absolutely love to try. Yeah. <laughs> I will be drinking. But we knew the guy. Anyway, we were very, I think the conversation must have, we were very overwhelmed and it was like <laughs> he had no idea what was going on. So we were like, yeah, this non-alcoholic beer is great. Um, and here's, here's some free soft cheese while you're at it. <laughs> yeah, I, know. <laughs> I mean, I, I there was look in the duopoly. I think they give free fruit for kids or whatever, I, which I, is not quite a sample. What's what? the duopoly? Sorry, well, in the two the, major supermarkets. Yeah, oh, okay. but I, but I've wondered. I, yeah, I always think, oh, can I just take a banana? No. Why not? You can take a grape. You can't. Do, you, do, you know, do you know how many? No, because they have bananas oh, for okay. kids. <laughs> mm. But like, do you know how many of them are going to end up in the bin? So many. So many of those mm. bananas are going to get like one brown spot on them. The kids don't take them into the bin. I reckon. I just think I if you're over ten, you you're taking the piss. I could pass for nine. <laughs> <laughs> just hold your belly and walk past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's for my baby. It's for my it's baby. For my child. I, mean, the, I got a free sample yesterday at the Queen Vic Market. Oh yeah. And then. 
uh, my, uh, I was with a two-year-old who I'm related to, <laughs> and um, that is that poor two-year-old. He, he was he asked for another one and he got given it. Um, okay, of a sausage, right? Don't extend the sample friendship. Oh, but how are you saying no to a two-year-old? Exactly. Easily. He's working no, the system. It's you... just a shocker. I, I couldn't believe there was. And then. Did you slap it out of your humi- hand? I was, I was <laughs> you. Later, about. Embarrassed already to two, be with you? Two minutes later, this little, whatever his name is, <laughs> throws it at me. <gasps> he threw the free sample. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, you've just started an incident. He didn't see it. <laughs> he didn't want it. Yeah, he didn't want it. He didn't need it. And I'm like, this is free. In a recession, <laughs> throwing food in public at me. No, I oh my dare. god! How dare he? How uh, so, dare? Yeah, I got that little toothpick and I jabbed it into his arm <laughs> secretly, so no one could see. Oh god! Picked the sausage up off the ground and made him eat it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, do you ever go to a deli or anything like that, or an ice creamery, and ask to? taste something before you buy it? I have done it at ice cream places. Ice cream places, I've done it. But there's a limit, isn't there? Yeah, like as to like other places. Busy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get out. Yes. Just, just get a pistachio and be, be done with it. Absolutely. Good choice. <laughs> um, I've, I've been there when it's been to – not there. I've been to one when it's been really busy and someone in front of a woman in front tasted like five. Oh, it's no. like, oh, get <laughs> That's like half a scoop. You're I done. Know. And then at the end, no, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm, qu- I'm quite full now. <laughs> no, she did pick one in the end. But, yeah, I, there is a point where you are just taking the piss. I don't do it often, but, yeah, I do it for ice cream. I don't think I've ever done it. I'm just trying to think of another place where I might have well, done it. Well, not many places offer it. Well, I, I don't think. A wine, I guess. Oh, yes. Well, of course you'd do it for wine. I think, you know, I have done it at a deli once. I've With asked. ham? I have. Like, how did you give me that? That, that bit of cabana, snap off a little piece. No, it was like one of those grandmother hams. And the grandmother ham is, for some reason, three times more expensive than everyone's ham. It's very was good, it though. Nonna's ham, grandmother's ham, mum's ham, <laughs> like, whatever. I want to taste all of those hams and mm. then I would see what is. And I tell you, the grandmother ham was worth every see? bloody dollar of yeah. it. So it probably was a good thing for them. I'm fine with the ham, but I think the ice cream days are finished. Of the tasting? Well, I just. the. All the ice cream places around me, just because of COVID, yeah. nixed it. Yeah. And then I just don't see it coming back. I did it in Italy a few weeks ago. <sighs> they were offering. But in what, Italy what, a few weeks, yes, Mon. They know a little bit of thing or two about ice cream. Yeah. But, but why? I mean, let's say it was sometime, chocolate almonds or chocolate sultan. It's like you know what it's going to taste like. Yes. But sometimes I think it's more, it's not, you're not tasting a, a chocolate, but if it's a... No more exotic flavour. Well, take the risk. Live on the edge. Or they're trying to spruik something new. They've the new concoction. Yeah. You know, like there was a place near me that when they, which is now I think they always sell it, but when it was new, they was one of their flavours was like chocolate and soy sauce. Oh, no, oh yeah, you need a taste test del- for that. And it was delicious. Yeah. Just like salt, just kind of like a bit of a like salty, an umami, yeah, kick into the crispy chocolate. rice bits in it. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> But I wouldn't have ordered a full scoop without knowing. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But I do think it's all dependent on who else is in, how many other customers are there. Yeah, And yeah. I reckon you can try absolutely maximum two flavours. Mm. Yes, I guess. I you know the companies that must make the spoons? 
like mm. little taste testing because they're useless for every any. I can't even think of a possible unless you were a drug dealer or something and needed to use, you know, teeny tiny calibrate. Te- yeah, I I feel like COVID. If I was in the ice cream sample spoon making game, I'd be really nervous. <laughs> Melbourne's own Triple R. For Feature Creatures, we're joined by chicken journalist and co-host of Triple R Pop-Up Summer show, This Chicken Life, Jessamy Miller. Welcome back to Breakfasters. It's delightful to be with you. It really is special chicken to have journalist. you here. <laughs> yeah. oh, cool. It's a niche. <laughs> uh, now, and it should have its own category at the Walkleys, so let's add that. Uh, I would love that. <laughs> uh, now, it's raining pretty heavily. What, what does that mean for chickens today? Well, there's nothing sadder than a wet hen, as they say. <laughs> So really, um, in a wet period, you need to find some um, undercover space for your chooks to still live a good life. So maybe um, setting up a bit of a dry area so they can still scratch around and have a dust bath during the day. And, you know, some chooks are just not very bright. So um, I have one particular chook who will simply stand out in the rain and I often have to encourage her back undercover. Most (laughs) of them have worked out this rain thing by now, living in Melbourne. But uh, there's always the odd silky that just hasn't quite got it going on. <laughs> yeah. uh, now you're here to talk hatching. I am because it's spring and it's such a lovely time to hatch chickens. So um, uh, every spring I do a couple of hatches um, and it's usually chickens, but occasionally I've done uh, quail and turkeys as well. And let me tell you that turkeys was a wild ride. Mm. Oh, Why? Mm. Well, baby turkeys um, imprint onto their carer and they really don't do anything until they're instructed to because their wild instincts are still so strong and in the wild their mother directs them to do everything to keep them safe. So I really had to just tap the feed every time I wanted them to eat, whereas, you know, baby chickens are pretty independent. Mm. So these turkeys... um, they cried if they couldn't see me. So I had to take them everywhere with me because the noise drove my family of teenagers and husband who works at home quite nutty <laughs> of these crying teen- these crying turkeys going, where's mum? And I did have to take them to my Christmas uh, party. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, so that was fine. I had We sat outside, had the turkeys under the table. Nobody noticed. <laughs> it was great. But on the way home, my car broke down <gasps> and I had to call the RACV. And I heard those fatal words, is anyone in the car with you? <laughs> and I said, oh, just my baby turkeys. <laughs> And I could hear this dead silence and she's like, oh, that will be up to the tow truck person if they take them. I was like, I have to take the turkeys. They'll die by themselves in the car. (laughs) So the tow truck um, guy arrived and he was very happy to take the turkeys. He thought it was hilarious. And um, he said to me, I've just moved here from India. Do you mind if I take a photo of you and your box of turkeys (laughs) to show my sister what my life is like here? (laughs) Must have been the only Christmas lunch in the country where the turkeys were under the yeah. table. Yeah. I know, funny things happen in the country. Yeah, wow. Oh, they're very cute. We're just looking them up, sorry. They are extremely cute. That's, I mean, chickens are adorable too and that's why I love to raise chicks, especially with a family because everybody loves cuddling a chicken. Mm. Well, now, what about incubating uh, versus 
uh, well, what are, what are the options here when hatching? Well, you can basically incubate um, the eggs yourself and, and raise them. You don't have to do it in your lounge room like me. I just <laughs> enjoy that. Or you can outsource all the work to the mother hen and have a broody hen and get her to raise the chooks. The, adva- the chicks, the advantage of that is that the hen teaches them a little bit more about life and how to function and also passes on some immunity. But the advantage of raising them yourself is that they become very tame and so you have some lovely pets, you have that beautiful interaction with the family and you can do it at your convenience, not the the mother hen's convenience. Mm. Would you have a control group where you would do raise some one way and the other another way? I've raised heaps of both and yeah. I've found that the chicks raised under the hen, like she tells them, be careful of those big humans. So they're quite mm. standoffish, mm. whereas my um, chooks that I've raised as chicks myself are just completely underfoot. They love me, they trust me, they'll jump onto my lap and groom me. Oh, you know, wow. It's a different vibe. So both are good. It's just what suits you. Huh. And to what degree are you inconvenienced? Mm. By the um By raising them. Raising them. Well, when you raise them, you have to get some infrastructure. So obviously you need an incubator um, if you want to hatch them. There's some pretty cheap incubators about. You could spend anything from $50 to um, five or 600 um, and they're all pretty functional. But, of course, you have to then provide the warmth. So you need a brooder. You need a brooder box. Um, and you just need to keep an eye on your chickens and check them regularly when they're young. So it's much more work and the rewards are much higher because you get that lovely special time with your chickens. Mm. Oh, wow. There are a lot of parenting books and, you know, mm. uh, slogans about raising children when their personalities are set. What have you observed when a personality trait is locked in? How long after hatching? Uh, Well, chickens are precocious, so that means that when they hatch, they're really good to go um, and they're pretty smart and savvy. They know how to eat. They know what species they are, unlike the turkeys and quail who were always a bit confused. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, So um, I find that... Each breed has a kind of a general personality. For example, my Hamburgs are sort of smart and a little bit flighty, whereas my Pekins are relaxed and sociable. And the chickens are just like that too. And I actually think they're quite like that from the day that they're born. Um, So they get to spend a bit of time in the brooder box in the lounge under the heat that keeps Mm. them warm and then after you know a few weeks you want to feather them up so you take them outdoors and give them a bit of time out on the grass to scratch around and then you really get to see them express themselves and they'll um I don't know if you've ever heard that bunnies do zoomies well chickens do zoomies as well they'll flutter and fly and they dance and leap and have a marvelous time it's like having dancing chickens on the lawn (laughs) as they they let their wiggles out so uh that's a bit of fun personality expression Uh, they uh is this the sort of thing where you you have a lot? Like they talk about animals moving in packs and things. Like how many chicks would you be raising at a time? Well, uh, chooks are social creatures, so you would want to have sort of a minimum of three okay. um, to create a nice social dynamic where they can learn from each other and have company. Um, but you can have as many as you want. So growing up um, on a chicken farm, we would hatch about 50 at a time oh, wow. um, and have a number of hatches of 50. Mm. So it was chickens galore. Okay. Um, I try to uh, stick around sort of 10 to 15 myself yeah um and of course living in town I um then when they get to teenage age I send them to my mum on her farm she has a rare breeds farm so I sort of do the work for her Mm. oh that's not I was wondering that what happens if you if you're regularly looking after 15 chicks then they grow up into big chickens and then how many have you got at your house yes well (laughs) I can't uh, I can't fit those 15 and of course something to be aware of if you are hatching chicks out of eggs is that 
some percentage will be male and there is no use for male chicks. So um, that's a, a bit of a hassle. Yep. So mm. it can be easier to buy day old chicks rather than going through the incubation effort. So there are hatcheries on the outskirts of Melbourne that sell sex day old chicks of different um, breeds, which mm. can be a really good option. When they are incubating, what sort of observation do you undertake? Uh, so one of the fun things is to candle the eggs. Um, so that you might do this um, maybe five days in. So you hold um, the eggs up to the light and you can see the developing chick in the eggs. Any eggs that haven't developed you would toss and this is kind of just clearing out your incubator just in case. Those are called clears. Um, but yeah, you can um, candle them as you go um, and you'll see the chick's forming day by day it's good not to um, intervene in the incubator too much and let it maintain its temperature and do its job so you might do that uh, twice in the process Mm. you also want to double check your temperature and humidity in an incubator so it will have its own internal temperature and humidity but I like to have a separate temperature gauge in there to double check that everything's going well. Okay. Mm. And how long does that process take? 21 days or um, I find that bantams hatch a day earlier and it always sneaks up on you and then I hear... So the chickens talk to each other in the shells before oh. they hatch so that I think they encourage each other and if there was a hen there, she would talk to them. I talk to them. Why not? Wow. Um, so you can hear them start peeping to each other. I think, uh-oh, um, time to lock down the incubator, stop it turning the eggs and set up increase the humidity for the hatching Mm. and yeah they start talking to each other in the egg it's quite wonderful wow someone did text in and asked how are the adult if unrelated chickens with the little do they introduce themselves to the little chickens if they're not related to them like they all get along well um chooks all have their own personality so if you were um raising um chicks under a mother hen you would put her in a separate cage away from the flock because the other chooks in the flock may be kind or they may not be and they could peck the chooks the chicks Mm. so it's much better not to introduce your chickens whether they're um, raised under a hen or incubator to the flock until they're at least teenage age and they're savvy and they can protect themselves Mm. the other reason to keep them separate is that they're born with um, no immune system so it's much better if they've had at least got to teenage age so they can develop an immune system to resist any residual diseases that the flock might have that they don't express but are just there in your soil and mm. in your flock. Mm. And they come out of the egg stage five clingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and I do want to hear at some point your, any horror quail stories or was that a dramatic time? The quail, um, the reason I ended up with these California quail was because I looked out on my back deck one day and there was a quail there and I enticed him in to come and watch TV with me and I um, texted this bloke I knew a couple of streets away and said, have you lost a quail? He said, yes. I was like, oh, he's at my place having a snack. Um, so he gave me some eggs mm. in to say thanks for catching him and I hatched them out and I have to say that chickens are very placid, turkeys are not bright but very placid, but the quail were mad. And oh. every time I lifted my brood a lid, they would just fly out like, um, <laughs> you know, I had to sort of catch them and put them back in. So they were amazing. They had these little, um, a little plume on their head that was like a mood ring. So if they were chill, it was down. Most of the time it was up, which said these quail are alert and ready to do anything. Mm. So that that was exciting, but I wouldn't, uh, I, I, they can't beat the loveliness of chooks. Yeah, right. <laughs> Gee, you're up for anything, aren't you, Jessie? <laughs> I'm up for anything with feathers. <laughs> <laughs> Jessie, thanks very much. 
Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. It's my dad's 70th birthday coming up. We're having uh, just a, a family get together over the weekend. Uh, he didn't want to have anything too big. He's just like, so we're having it at my brother's place and um, and I'm organising. I, I generally do like to take the reins of organising when we have events or family things, gatherings, everything like that. Um, so ordering or organising food and, and drinks. Uh, and the drinks depends on if my auntie is driving or not. If she's not driving, going to have to double up on the champagne, oh. that's for sure. Uh, but everyone else, I think... It, yeah, I, I think it'll be um, pretty tame. One of the biggest things that I have a fear of, and I think I've spoken to this before, but is under catering, so that will never happen. <gasps> there, there will mm. always be, there's, there's going to be too much food, and I've already ordered some of the food, uh, and Abby knows not to question anything anymore. She's just like, okay, I obviously want to feed everyone and then have everyone take food home. That's, ah. that's because, you know, we had Christmas one year, and it was at my auntie and uncle's house, Um and we we literally ran out of food. Oh. It was like it was. My mother spoke about it until the day she died. <laughs> like it was just the most embarrassing, humiliating, mortifying. And the thing was, and like we don't speak to these family members anymore. Um, well, as you shouldn't. <laughs> exactly. Um, but my my uncle, he was just so not worried about it and we were it was just like there's literally like because we were all younger we were aged between maybe 10 and 16 kind of a thing so we were hungry young Mm. kids who were you know very active and stuff so anyway um mum was just like said to dad's like we're leaving dad's like we can't leave it's like halfway through lunch mum's like there's no food my children are hungry. You know the definition of lunch is when there's food. So exactly. There's none left. It's over. This is done. Mm. To the point where, like, we had – this is so embarrassing. There was a, a leg of ham and my uncle was cutting it and as he was – like, everyone was just watching because it's like we were – and he was eating and cutting. It's oh. like, how, how dare you? There is hardly any – anyway, mum oh. ended up just getting up and we, we left. We could, She walked out the door and we were like, oh, we're gonna go, so we. That's followed. a scandal. It is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, all of that is a scandal. Yeah. Oh, what your mum did, the <laughs> eating the ham, not preparing enough. Oh, so yeah, we we oh. we drove home. I mean, if you're not, if you can't do it, don't put don't your hand it. Up. <gasps> don't, don't do it. It is absolute one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. No it, one's gonna care about how the room looks or the the place settings or the music you put on, but people will always remember being hungry. Absolutely. Oh. I will never forget this day, yeah. right? Uh, and remember driving home and we had uh, we went through the drive-thru. So we were wrapped. We're like, yes. <laughs> and, of course, no one was at the drive-thru because it was Christmas Day. Oh, my God, it was Christmas. It was Chris- oh, yeah, it was Christmas. I didn't realise Yeah, no, that. sorry, I didn't mention that. You probably um, did. I thought it was obvious. Ham, yeah, maybe, lunch. maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you didn't. Chris, oh, that. Oh my god. Um, so what, what? What? Did you say you went through a drive-through? Yeah. Ugh. On the way home, and we all because we were starving. We oh, were so hungry. Of course you did. Yeah. Oh. Um. So we. <laughs> anyway, Mum. Like I said, she spoke about that forever, and I think that made her even more up the ante when people come came over for Christmas at our place. Mm. She was like, "I like not only will I feed you, I will." Feed Stuff 100 people. Yeah. This is how you cater for the, anyway. Oh, it's so, and no one is ever 
<laughs> like, what kind of person would ever have a problem with something being overcated? Like, it's can, no, there's no harm. I mean, can, I don't understand cost comes into it. Maybe. Yeah, of course. Can, yeah. I, can I share my rational loathing in this department mm. is when people say, oh, there's so much, there's too much, <laughs> or like commentating about, oh, you'll have to take some – There's t- shut up, <laughs> shut up, <laughs> let us all enjoy it. Let the cards fall where they may. We'll deal with mm. quantities later. But like, oh, so shut up. Oh. Yeah. But I'm, I, I, that is irrational. I, um, and then are you guilting me into eat like finishing that's right, it? Exactly. Oh, so much food. A mm, of yeah. Whenever we used to come home, like when uh, we were older, we were young adults, and we were living out of home, we, we always knew when we came home that mum would cook <laughs> a, a massive meal. And my brothers and I, we would come home and would with our partners and the food that we would put on our plate just because we were so excited we haven't had mum's food Mm. in a month or whatever it was and I mean you're talking there's a mountain on a plate and I remember all our partners looking at us and looking at our plates going what has happened to you like you can go back for more you don't have to put it all on one plate I think I don't know maybe growing up there was never not enough food but we do eyes we are bigger do. than your stomach? Yes. Well, it's a big family thing, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Yeah. Like the panic. The panic <laughs> yeah. stays with you. Oh, yeah. My mum still does that and she never never finishes anything. She'll, she'll pile her plate up <laughs> yeah. and then go, oh, I've got too much. And, <laughs> and then, then it goes in the bin. So it's a waste. No, that's what I, I, By the time you're in your 60s, you should know how to navigate that. I guess so. But, yeah, I I still live with the... Absolute fear that someone's going to swoop in and take a piece yeah. of chicken off my plate. Or oh. I went to, I have been to a couple of weddings where there wasn't enough food, and so when we were planning ours, that was our biggest. Yeah, we just talked like it was like, cool. Here's the we'll pick that drinks list. You know, obviously music was important, but you book it like DJs know what to do, whatever. Yeah, um, but we just had such intense conversations with the woman who ran the venue, being like, and she's like, I promise you. There'll be enough food. And there absolutely was. But I, yeah. I remember going to a wedding that was in the country and they're like, oh, we'll just do food trucks. Like, we'll just, it'll just be, you know, it's all cool. It was like five years ago, we'll, you know. Um, and it was, there was one food truck and then they packed up after a certain time. And so oh. I got like one little, I can't remember what it was, like a little taco or something. No. And then it was like, well, we're out, we're out in like a paddock. I can't just mm. go somewhere and get food. Suddenly we you're starving. in Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm digging in the ground. <laughs> but it's all—it's like what, it's a main memory. And yes. I was like, we can't even go through drive-through on the way home because there isn't one. Oh yeah, that's that's devastating. It is a lasting memory, isn't it? That's one mm-hmm. of the things I think when I was organising my wedding. It's like, who cares about anything? No one cares. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one cares about your dress. No. Make sure there's enough food. Yes, yeah. okay? totally. You remember being hungry? See a in this field, like m- milking a cow's udder into her <laughs> open mouth. <laughs> I'm so hungry. <laughs> Triple R. Clementine Ford is the best-selling author of Boys Will Be Boys, How We Love, Notes on Life, and Fight Like a Girl, which won her Best New Writer at the 2017 Australian Book Industry Awards. Clementine is now bringing her talents to the stage with Love Sermon, a collaboration with renowned cabaret performer Libby O'Donovan, and to tell us about it, the writer, podcaster, and feminist community builder joins us now. Clementine, welcome back to Breakfasters. Oh, hello, everyone. It's so <laughs> nice to be here back at the Triple R Studios. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being here, especially today with the weather outside. Can you tell us about... 
what's led to this exploration of uh, matters of the heart? Well, I wrote How We Love uh, through the lockdown and uh, it was released last November and it's kind of a different sort of perspective to me than maybe some people would expect. Mm. It's, a, it's a series of essays, it's a memoir about love, the, all of the love that I've experienced in my life that goes very much beyond romantic love. I really feel like we place too much primacy on romantic love in the world and, and the importance of it to people. And it means that all of the other kinds of love that we have that bring satisfaction to our life and that are very meaningful in their own ways and no less a version of love than mm. romantic love um, are really not given the, the respect that I think that they deserve. So that's sort of what How We Love was about. And then Chip Rolly at the Sydney Opera House, um, every year they have the All About Women Festival and I've, I've done it many times. So he contacted me and he basically said, do you want to come do what you want? And I said, well, how about I do a love sermon, which seemed uh, like a great idea at the time. And then, of course, <laughs> I had to write it, which, um, you know, as, as a writer, we hate writing. Um, but he, he agreed to that. And so I, wrote, I put this piece together that was kind of based on all of those themes. And then about a week before, I was sitting there and I was thinking there's something missing to it. And, and then I thought, well, of course, it's a secular sermon and it's meant to be kind of, you know, a bit ostentatious in that way. Like there's an evangelical vibe to it that's obviously non-religious. And I was having breakfast with my friend Libby O'Donovan in Adelaide, who uh, she was given the um, the Adelaide Cabaret Festival Lifetime Achievement Award this year. So she's incredibly talented. And I said to her, hey, do you want to come to Sydney next week and sing some songs at the Opera House? And she was like, <laughs> sure. Which is a really beautiful reflection of Libby and my friendship and relationship, that it is just so supportive and trusting. I mm. think trust is the, the key word there, that at no point did she feel like she was being set up. Did she feel like it was not going to... Um, I guess that, that she, would, she would be left in the lurch on stage. And so we turned up, we... We put this beautiful sermon together. It's very one of the things about it I think that is appealing to people is that it has a very um, not slapdash that makes it sound like it's not put together, but it has a, a rustic charm oh, to sweet. it. <laughs> Which you know when you go and see people perform and you think there is something about an unpolished gem mm. that that is a little bit more. It, it allows the audience to come into the show a little bit more because they feel like you're really sitting there in their living room with them mm. having a chat. Was there a time in your life where you placed too much emphasis on romantic love or have you always felt this way? Of course. I'm a woman <laughs> in the world who's been raised on a diet of Disney and romantic comedies. I was taught to place a lot of <laughs> a lot of primacy on romantic love. But I'm 41 now and I've been through the kinds of experiences that, you know, many people who reach their middle ages, middle years have been through and, and the romantic aspirations I suppose that I, I had when I was a teenage girl feeling so unattractive feeling so um, discordant with the world around me feeling like I would never be a real girl because mm -hmm. I didn't fit into what I saw you know girls being celebrated as and then of course you reach your 20s and you think well I've, now I have to find the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with because that's the only model of love that we're given that you have to find someone and if you don't find that person then you've you've somehow missed out on a key experience mm. in the world and I've been researching um, I'm writing a book at the moment about marriage actually and about how the history of marriage and how women have been co-opted into marriage and and I came across this great quote by Adrienne Rich, the you know lesbian feminist poet from the 1970s, and she talks about how heterosexuality is presented to women as the great adventure. And I feel like that, that just resonated with me so much because so much of my life was spent being told that the only thing that would make me happy, and I think this is true for a lot of women, regardless of whether or not they're queer, that the only thing that will make you happy is to find someone 
to spend the rest of your life with and that nothing you do outside of that, no other relationships that you have, no friendships, no career ambitions, no successes. You could climb to the top of Mount Everest. But if you didn't have a husband or a wife at the end of the day, then it's a bit sad that you've spent your whole life alone, isn't it? Who are some of the loves of your life outside of romance? Well, Libby is one of them. She's a great love of my life and she's the one who taught me that, you know, all love that we are lucky enough to enjoy, we should appreciate for every single moment of its time. And what I love about that is that, you know, we can't hold on to things and say, well, I will make it work forever, regardless of if it's a friendship or a relationship. Um, But also that if something is beautiful for five years, that is no less valuable than uh, people who have been married for 50 years because it's all love that brings something to our life. And so, you know, for me, as a mom, (laughs) one of the most important loves to me is my son. But I make it very clear in the show that we talk a little bit about children, but I make it very clear that I don't subscribe to that myth that, particularly for women, that unless you have a child, you'll never really know true love. It's just a kind of love, and it certainly taught me a lot of things about myself. It's taught me to be more patient. It's taught me the limits of my patience. Mm. And for me, the thing that makes it unique is that it's the only kind of love that you have where from the very moment that you set out on it, you teach it to leave you. Like the best way to love a child is to teach them to leave you, to go out into the world. Um, so there's, you know, my, my I actually have a, a wonderfully loving relationship with my son's father. We, we're no longer together in a romantic way, but we've built a beautiful friendship. We co-parent together really well. Um, but the most important loves to me, I would say in my life overall, are my friends. And I know that's kind of a cliche thing, but I really do feel like one of the benefits that women have in a patriarchal world is that we are given the ability to emotionally connect with other people and we're taught to have deep friendships with women, even though, like, not too close because a coven is a bit dangerous <laughs> for men. But, um, I, you know, one, Libby and I have written an original song for the show about being a witness for other people. So you witness your friends' lives in a way that sometimes a romantic partner can't. They can't see all of the person that they're with but your friends who maybe have been there for years have seen you through so many different ups and downs have held your hand through hardships and through triumphs can say at the end of that relationship and at the end of your life I have witnessed you and and if I live beyond you will take what I know of you and I will tell the world about you and through me you will live on Mm. well that speaks to the duration of love and you mentioned earlier how fleeting can love be and be legitimately described, do you think, as love? Oh, well, I mean, I guess it depends on whether or not you think that... Um, look, I feel I fall in love all the time. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know that it's obviously not a deep, abiding, long-lasting love, but some of the, the biggest wounds that I have, romantically even, are for relationships that were very brief, mm. for relationships where they were definitely more one-sided. Um, I don't know that they're any less relevant to my experience in the world and and my reflection on the world. And certainly as a writer, they're very much in the stories that I tell about love than maybe a kind of more solid, long-lasting, realistic kind of love. I feel like with love, it is such a beautiful gift to be able to experience it in any way. And it's something, it's the thing that's taught me the most about life. And, and again, you know, being in my middle years now, it's the thing that I feel the most grateful for is the capacity to love in so many different ways and to be given the opportunity to know people in that way. To, you know, I say in the sermon and in, in the book that to, the desire to love and be loved is really the desire to know and be known. 
and to to be seen in the world. And I and I feel like maybe as a writer as well, to be able to see people in all their different complexities is fascinating. Mm. And what a wonderful way to go through the world. Mm. Yeah. What about performing live? <laughs> is is that um, a different beast, or do you does it bring anything out of you that mm. uh, isn't as easily visible in writing or podcasting or anything like that? Well, there's something about the terror of being on a stage. You know, public speaking is one of the most common fears that people have. Um, And all performers, I think, unless they have that fear at the start of a show, they're they're going in unprepared. Mm -hmm. You know, you you really need to be motivated by your anxiety. Uh, It is different, but... Again, I think that having someone on stage with you who you can trust enough to really be each other's safety net is so important and powerful. I wouldn't wouldn't be able to do this show with the same, um, I think the same joy even, the same willingness to to go out a little bit further on the limb than if I had someone in there with me who is like a brilliantly seasoned performer themselves, Mm. but also who you do have that level of trust with because we can nudge each other a bit further. And, you know, we're doing a run of however many shows, 15 shows or something like that, and each one will be slightly different because when you're in the moment on the stage, you're bringing with you what happened the night before, what happened that day in the world, a joke that you may have told each other the moment before you've gone on stage. But it is that charm between two people who love each other that I think people respond to most. What about the singing? How did have you always? Has that always been a dream of yours? Well, I've always sung. Mm. So I've I actually before I moved to Melbourne, I I did years worth of fringe shows in Adelaide with my friend Emily Davis, who's a another. I t- I tend to team up with real musicians so that I can kind of just <laughs> fudge my way through it. Um, I'm obviously not a professionally trained singer, but I do love to sing, and it's you know it's one of those things where. Uh, if you work in the creative fields, you tend to, and also you're kind of a weird theatre kid anyway, like I was a weird theatre kid, and you you tend to sort of, you are drawn to all of that kind of performance and um, you're covering up your own insecurities, I guess, by getting on stage and literally belting them out. <laughs> well, Clementine Ford and Libby, Libby O'Donovan are in Love Sermon. Now, this is really touring, isn't it? Yeah. It is really touring, yes. It is uh, for anyone who's outside of Melbourne. Um, it's we're going to a lot of regional towns as well. We're going to be in Wollongong. The show opens in Cronulla. Um, we're doing two shows in Sydney, but we're in Melbourne at the Capital Theatre on the twenty seventh of October. And um, yeah, well, it'll it'll have been like right in the middle of the run there, so we'll we'll have smoothed out any of the cracks, <laughs> yeah. and hopefully there'll be enough to keep it crackling still. <laughs> exactly, and in Bathurst. And in Bathurst, yeah. <laughs> Amazing back stuff. Going Bathurst. Uh, all right. Well, head to lovesermon.com for more information about the show. Uh, Clementine Ford, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you all so much for having me. And hello to everyone out there in Triple R land. Triple R. Joined this morning by musical comedian, actor, content creator, and today's Friday funny bugger, Smith Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. I am a funny bugger. Thanks for the introduction. Seriously. How's life? Life is good, mate. I'm in the throes of Melbourne Fringe Festival. We were just chatting, um, and I've seen some really good fringe shows, and then I've seen some fringe shows. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) That's right. That's okay. That's the place for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, You were talking about uh, Dolly Parton. 
Pardon? Dolly Parton? Yes, I am performing in a Dolly Parton tribute night tonight at Melbourne Fringe. And um, the producer or organiser was like, all right, do you have anything in your show that could be Dolly Parton-esque? And we're doing a cabaret about life in primary school. And we went, well, there's a song where we play horse girls. And I think it's just got to be that one. Yeah, exactly. I'll be performing that at midnight tonight. And (laughs) it's really good putting my BFA to use from Victorian College of the Arts. When you say horse girls, you just mean like when you would run around the playground like in a gallop. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Well, very relatable. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Are you still friends with people from primary school? Yeah, I'm friends with a few. My partner, when I um, was telling them about this song, he was like, yeah, I was 100% a horse kid. And he's like, I used to run around on all fours. And then he's like, and then some of the girls from um, the year levels above would like come around and chase me. And I was so cool. And I was like, I think you were being bullied. Yeah. Um, but that's great that it's, you think it's the other way, mate. Then they would give me a wedgie and pull my hair. It was so cool. Literally. Oh, my God. That's win-win harassment, right? Totally. <laughs> Uh, now, t- tell us what else is going on in your life because it seems pretty packed. It is. Look, it is pretty packed. Um, I spend most of my days making um, funny videos on TikTok and I had a bit of a career a career pivot during the pandemic. Um, I was a comedian beforehand, but then all my live shows got cancelled, so I started making funny videos on the internet um, and then kind of started working with brands and now it's like my job to to work with Menulog and Spotify and all of those. <laughs> I know, which is cool. I mean, you get some cool campaigns and then you get some wackadoo campaigns. My, my agent called me and she's like, now, Sam, I've worked in this business for quite a while. I think she's 21, so I don't know how she can say that. But, like, <laughs> love her. She doesn't talk like that either. She's like, hi, Sam. But anyway, we'll talk about her like this. She goes, Sam, I've lived in this business for a while. She goes, this one's a weird one. And I was like, what's the campaign? She's like, right. Uber Eats, this is not my story, by the way, but mm. let's go in. Uber Eats, they want to collaborate with you, but the collaboration is with Sesame Street. But what they're going to do is they're going to have a half-cut video where they're going to have a Sesame Street character at the top half and then the bottom half is going to be you, Irish, dancing. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they're like, I'm like, for Uber Eats? She's like, for Uber Eats. And I was like, why would they get me to Irish dance when I don't Irish dance? Wouldn't they get an actual Irish dancer and then it would be the top half of my... She's like, Sam, I don't know. Anyway, didn't end up doing that campaign. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that comes through my email inbox what on earth every is day. Going on? I don't know. Oh, my God. Mm. Um, I want to see the ad now. I know, <laughs> yeah, I know. Precisely. I saw it. Uh, have you ever sat near a billboard at a bus stop or whatever with your face on it? Or Yes, I have. Yeah. The M&M's... Um, I'm in the new M&M's campaign. I love that I can say yes to that question. I have. <laughs> I'm in a very crisp collared shirt. My hair's a bit too flicky for my liking, but that's all right. Yeah. Uh, where did it you, all takes you. Did you get a selfie with it? Yeah, and a lot of people sent me photos oh, of it. Great. It was, it was yeah. really beautiful. Like, you're at Southern Cross. I'm like, thank you so much. So I've collated them all and uploaded them. <laughs> yeah. Just swipe through. Uh, now, t- tell us about the person. Uh, what, what is the uh, background between you and your collaborator? Yes, so Mel and I... We've only been friends for a few years. We kind of met through music theatre circles and I saw her perform one day and I was like, well, obviously she's a star. And then one day we got coffee um, right before 2020 lockdown hit and she was like, I'm thinking of doing a show. And I was like, I could do the music for it. And she was like, that would be sick. And then we were like, wait a minute, let's just do it together. And so we were thinking about, okay, what would our show be about? And we were like, oh, let's do it about the forgotten lunchbox snacks of the early 2000s. I'm like, I query if that has an hour in it. That might be a sketch in a show. And then No Hat, No Play, the cabaret was born in my car (laughs) that day. And then we wrote the entire thing 
during lockdown on Zoom. And no spoilers, but what are some of the snacks? <laughs> what are, well, that's it. I was like, if we did the lunchbox snacks, we'd have to have like an entire song about an LCM bar, which I could write. But anyway. That's a show for another time. But yeah, Mel's the fucking funniest. Did that does it did it did that make the transition? It, no, or did you it end up even, ditching? No, the... it got cut. Yeah, no, it got completely cut. Oh yeah, you have to write some some bad shit to write some good shit. And there's some songs that I've written that are bad. Yeah, that did not make it. I can't even think of. I mean, let's. Can you just run through five? Because now we're uh, uh, like a roll up. I presume is of, in there oh, of yeah. ones that did make it. Yeah. Yep. Um. So we have a song called Apple on a Stick, which opens oh. our show. You remember uh. that Apple on a Stick? But it's like techno and gritty and me using gritty as a former choir girl. I don't know if I can do that. But anyway, gritty. Um. What else? We've got I'm a horse. Great. We've got a love ballad that I sing called I Love You, James L. Yeah. Um. Because the L is really important because primary school. Mm. And then what else do we have? We have a song called Arts and Craft where, where, where we are all like, oh, I've got a thick glue stick in my pencil case, bitches. And it's like rap and that's pretty funny to me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we've had some kids come along to the show and it's oh. not a kid's show. Despite the marketing looking very spick and span and, and kid kitty, we did it at Adelaide Fringe and this mum brought her two, like, daughters and they're in the front row and then... Um, the first song kind of ends and we have this hymn where we hold brat dolls up and we like they like get married in the sand pit and then we're like scissoring brat dolls and we start scissoring them on stage and the mum was just like right grabs like both of her daughter's hands like stands up and then just like scurries out of the tent and then she's like that was not a kids show I was like my queen it's marketed as M on the website you just didn't read that that would be an interesting car ride home truly the kids probably like I don't get it she's like shut up Uh, now, the choir, what was being in a choir like? Do you miss it? Um, I actually was working for them until this year. So I was with them since 2000, which is crazy because I'm 27 now. So it's a long, long time. Um, I loved being in a choir. I'm a real music dork. Um, I loved it. I was... Not to, not to brag, but I was in the Qantas ad because of oh, that. Right. Yeah. waiting for that. Oh. You just sitting back, right, right. <laughs> no, She's no, one of them. no, yeah, I love yeah. it. Everyone, so, it always it always comes out, doesn't it? It always <laughs> comes out. I'm a I'm a Qantas girly. I was kind of doing the circuits of all those corporate gigs when I was like, you know, eleven or twelve, like performing with Delta Goodrum and all of like the all of the Aussie the Aussie classics and performing at the Carols with High Five and stuff. And my school was so over at every like third lunchtime. I'd like go up with my little slip to leave school and be like so I've actually got to perform at the um, Starlight Foundation Gala <laughs> with Rob Mills um, I'll be back for period six they're like I don't care this is a public school fuck off <laughs> like, sorry I've just got a performance yeah I'll, I'll be back I'm actually performing on Sunrise so I'll probably beat you all stuff here at the school I'll, I'll enter and I'll open up for us yeah like, ridiculous uh, were you where did they send you or were you in Uluru I mean what, yeah. what yeah. We went to Kununurra mm-hmm. in Broome. Now, I was in the Qantas ad, but I've, I've got to be an honest woman on this mic. Mm-hmm. I was in the final shot that probably only on the word, Silicon Australia, home. Oh, that that's was a big only... moment, though. Yeah, yeah it's a big yeah. one. That's it. So, I was so far back in the shot, though, that I didn't even wear a Qantas shirt. I was given a goddamn white polo from Big W. Oh. And out. I was like, ah. Oh. But... That was because your torso wouldn't have even been picked up with any clarity on camera. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was very fun. Yeah, it sounds it. Okay, now uh, what are we? You're very busy. I'm very confused. You're doing two shows. Yep. Uh, but we're no hat, no play. Yep. The cabaret. 
the cabaret. What does that mean? No hat, no play. What that was the mean? rule. That was the that, rule. Was, but, was that just certain schools? I thought no, it was no, Australian no. primary school. And they were like rigorous camp. with it. But that's yeah. that's not fair. Well. Oh, well, go, mm. maybe we should I, explore that. And I that. agreed those lunch times that I sat there and scuffed my volleys into the tan bark as they were like, sit there exactly under the gum trees, please, Samantha, because mm. you don't have your hat. Yeah. <laughs> had to watch my friends play mm. hopscotch. Um, where no, did the, I felt it. Where did the Legionnaire's hat go? Did that graduate? Have no. you seen an adult wear one? No. Yeah, oh, Geraldine, Geraldine Hickey does. <laughs> I love Geraldine Hickey. She's always wearing one. The that's, very sun smart. That's yeah. pretty groovy. Because you know, if you've got short hair, your neck gets burnt. Mm. Yeah, and you used to, um, with the bucket hats, you used to pull like the drawstring up and put it on your nose and everyone would be elephants. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh no. Oh, what about a visor? Does that count as a hat? A visor? No. no. You can get that burnt part. Yeah, yeah, nah. yeah. Yeah, but if you're wearing a yarmulke and a visor, <laughs> yeah. that should, you should still be able to play. It is a classic combo. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. What else do you want to tell us before we uh, kick you out of here? Oh, um, well, I have a, I have a story, oh. Oh, which is actually right. show related. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Classic. Mm. Um, such a performer. No. So, Mel and I, we attract interesting audiences to our show. I think some people, and like, it's kind of like beautiful some people go oh, i don't know what a cabaret is and they get quite stressed coming along to our show so i think they just get smashed before our show so mm. we were performing at comedy festival last year and you know even though we we're performing at the toff in town which is not like a black box theater where you have theater etiquette there's obviously a form of etiquette there it's not the kind of show where you can just like call out and we don't really like engage with the audience and heckling and stuff like that it's a theater show you know we're going to track we've got wings it's the whole thing anyway so we come out, there's these two people in the front and they are here to party. They were so smashed um, and they were just like sitting there and we come out, we're doing the first song and they're all like, woo, woo, and like wooing at every second thing that we said and we're like, all right, great, we're just like going to have to keep an eye on these people. Um, they start like filming, like getting really close, like zooming in really, really close to me and then like flipping it around and like chucking some peace signs up and I was like, all right, they're 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 in for the night. They also like... Like, did not look like our typical kind of audience member. I think, our, not to be like, oh, audience member, mainly like th- kind of theatre people, but they were just um, oddballs, which is so fun and love that they bought a ticket. Anyway, <laughs> it gets to my ballad, which is song number three. They've already wooed and called out and spoken a lot. And then it gets to me doing my like love ballad with like twinkly piano, and I'm like eyeing this guy because he just keeps calling out and talking. And I can't even like tell you what. He's saying, and it was like so intense. And then eventually you guys are like, this isn't a funny story. This sounds serious, but it gets funny. Anyway, and then calling out, calling out, calling out. And then I'm getting like really nervous. This is also the night we're filming, classic. Um, And then it gets to um, a little bit later on in the show. And I was like, are we meant to call a show stop? Because these people are so smashed. But they're downing some water. They start to chill out. But then he stands up and he's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And his, his partner is like, okay, you go. I'm going to stay. And I was like, this is like meanwhile we're doing like theatre. And everyone's just kind of looking at them. Anyway, he leaves. And I'm like, all right, he's gone. He was the worst one. He's left. So then we keep going through our show. And then she decides to get her phone out and just start making some phone calls. So she's like, hello, hi, no, hi, can I please get word for word? Oh, can I please? No, a lasagna, yeah. No, can I? And I'm like... 
at, the, at that volume, and we're performing at this volume. <laughs> and she's like d- running errands on her phone. I'm getting lasagna. I'm going because I'm in a show. I'll come after. And I'm like, this is fucked. And it got to the point where like Mel and I were trying to classic theatre bitches. If we were like a bit better and like a bit more stand up, we would have been like, mate. It's probably time to go get your lasagna. But because we were like oh, playing practical the script, practice, like, excuse me, no talking in the classroom, please. <laughs> like trying to just beat kids and it was so bad. Anyway, so she starts, she, she makes a call and then she's on the phone. She calls him and she's like, where are you? And I can hear him on speaker going, I've left. And she's like, well, I'm going to stay. And it goes on forever. Anyway, long story short. End of the show. Not happy, right? She, but then she gets a bit silent and is like zooming in and wooing every now and again. Then we saw on our show footage, because we obviously had the camera mm. set up, that at the very end of the show, two other audience members went up to her and you can see them cussing at her, <gasps> and like waving their fingers. So they're mad. They're probably going, that is not on, mm. right? There's really bad theatre right again. And then we see at the very end of the shot, someone grab her phone, <gasps> hold it up, to a really high distance and then smash it Get out! on the floor. Oh, that's so and satisfying. We, it's so satisfying. <laughs> but we've got all this on footage and I've never seen her again. Um, but I think about that a lot. Oh, my God, I love it that. Was the, it was the making calls for me. It was ordering las- lasagna oh for me. God. Don't you think it'd be easier to just go Irish dancing with Elmo sometimes? With, and I would have made fuck ton of money more than busting my ass in a polo from Big W and a broken radio mic from Factory Sound. Yeah. You can catch Samantha Andrew in uh, No Hat, No Play, the cabaret. No Hat, No Play is still Victorian government policy, term one and term four, according to our <laughs> listeners. Yep. It's at Fringe, 16th to 23rd of October. Thanks very much. Thank you. Woo! <sighs> That's right. Triple R. You know where friends or family set up a new business, generally you like to support them, you either buy their products or you'll share their business or that kind of thing. Um, well, a woman in the UK defrauded family and friends of their savings so that she could set up her travel agency, which was nice. So uh, she got caught um, a couple of years ago, but she's only just been sentenced now. So she pleaded guilty to, scam, to a scam uh, involving hundreds of customers up to £2.6 million. Insane. So insurance covered a, a, a few of those trips, uh, so people weren't impacted, but then a lot of them uh, weren't covered as well. So people were left stranded on their holidays. Family and friends. I mean... So she set up, she pretended... She had her own business. She did have oh, she a legitimate did. business. Yeah. Uh, and when people's trips didn't go to plan, she said that she had insurance, it was all covered, uh, but lots of people were left stranded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the people that weren't and that were angry, she told she had a terminal illness. <gasps> Wow. Isn't she? Well, she's, anyway, she, she's going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, many years ago when I was working in uh, Samoa, so this is 15 or more years ago, uh, I was organising a big international tournament. So we had seven other countries that were flying into Samoa. Uh, I had a Melbourne base. So the governing body of cricket uh, were based in Melbourne at the time and they said to me, if I have any friends that are travel agents, uh, let them know because they're going to be basing paying for all these, uh, organising seven countries flying in and out. Uh, so it's, you know, a good gig. It's like, okay. And I, at the time I was playing football um, and one of my teammates was a travel agent. I thought, oh, yeah, I've got a friend who's a travel agent. So I passed on her details. Uh, I hit her up first and she was like, oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. We weren't close friends, but she was a teammate and you support one another. Mm. 
So I passed on the details. Uh, anyway, the tournament came and finished. Uh, all the countries came to the um, it came to the tournament. No dramas at all. And then a month later, I had a conference based in Melbourne. And when I got to the conference, I got picked up at the airport, and the guy that I had spoke to originally, who was based in Melbourne, he said, "Oh, by the way, your mate, uh, the travel agent, took the money and ran." <gasps> I said, I'm sorry, what? And he kind of laughed and then two of the blokes, they go, yeah, your mate. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, there was everyone, I'm sorry, what? And they're like, yeah, they're, they're actually investigating it at the moment. I'm like, I'm, okay, I'm sorry, you're going to have to start this again. <laughs> I, I thought you were taking the piss. What, what happened? Anyway, apparently she had been doing it for years, this person. Uh, and this How did was you the, know this person? She played footy in my footy team. Oh. <gasps> mm. And Scam I, artists play footy too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I didn't know anyone with, with bad ethics played football. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could and I just I couldn't believe this bus trip that we were taking to this conference, and I'm just going, it just blew my mind. I'm not, I just I, I just couldn't fathom what they were saying. They're like, yeah, it's getting investigated at the moment. It was like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of flights. Goodness. So did she uh, sidle up to you and hustle for the contract? No, I. Gave it to her, <laughs> my mate, right? Uh, so was it a crime of opportunity, do you think? No, well, apparently she'd been doing it before then, but this one was the big one. So this one was the one that she got caught. So, uh, and I mean, full on, she went to jail. Really? Yeah, this is huge. Oh my gosh. Never am I recommending a mate for anything <laughs> ever again. <laughs> ever. No way, that is so bad. It is so bad. Oh, I, I yeah, I, I was... I, I, like even now, it's like, oh my god, I, I can't believe I recommend. It sounds it like the victims in for that car ride at least didn't seem to take it out on you or the, hold you. No, 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 no. Because I think at first I just and they were all covered with insurance and stuff, but it was just a it was just another workload that they had to go because they had to do interviews. They had to go through this whole process. Just like, oh god, the tournament finished months ago. Can we just? be done with it but um yeah it, it was it was huge I, I couldn't yeah I, I just couldn't so you it. take everyone's money mm. and then what they don't get to there is no quid pro quo they don't get what they paid for how do you actually expect to get away with it well it turns out over the years um they had been doing it uh and some friends footy mates had were traveling and were stranded in different places but they had been told that there was a mix-up with mm. the bookings and it was different people's faults <laughs> and no one ever blamed this person. So she had been doing bits and pieces for years. Oh, she'd been building up to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> until I came along going, here, mate, here you go. Building up to swindling an amount for people who want to travel. Building up in the fact that she was doing it for a very long time, like small, small, little, little. Some of but it was. How covered. did she get continued work? Is I it, don't is it know. you do enough of a good job? Oh yeah, if she's screwing up with these other people because she's because she's blaming other blaming. Right, nice. Other companies. She's oh, like, it's oh, always it was someone air, else's fault. Yeah, it was the airline, or it was. I don't know something. Yeah. I love that. Love it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just <laughs> what shocking. An, I mean, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know, honestly, it was <laughs> devastating. I'm still a little bit devastated about it because I can't believe it. And that's it. And so it was, you, you've like once bitten twice shy of recommending friends. Oh, um, that was the last time. It was, a, it was the first time. It was the first goddamn time. And yeah, never, <laughs> yeah, never again. And then did you ever see, what about on parole? Did she ever play any games? <laughs> oh, we've seen each other. Mm. Have you? You went to visit her in jail. What on earth? No. You've no. seen each other. <laughs> 
and just it was just avoiding of contact because I think originally before I, I was just like this can't be right this can't be true this person is being targeted she couldn't have done oh. it and I remember seeing her at uh, events or whatever and I went to go and talk to her and she literally couldn't run away from me faster wow and that was because I was just Big like, suck I of to money to her. on her shoulder <laughs> <laughs> I was just like no surely no she's she's running away from me uh, and it happened a few times and then everything happened and she went away. So I was like, okay, all mm. right, that, uh, that really happened. After all that, you'd be like, I need a holiday. Well, she's booked me a trip to Bali next week. So. <laughs> Triple R. Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasts, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or the Triple R website. <laughs>